Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll be in verse 36, beginning this morning. It was uh, good to good to be away with my family for a few days. Thank you for that grace. We were down in Alabama, hanging out in northern Alabama, and uh, not southern Alabama, or uh, lower Alabama, L.A., um, but... Has Alabama experienced anything since we were, were gone? I'm kidding. I love you, Miss Kay. Listen, y'all. When something takes 15 years to happen, it may be worthy of a mention in the pulpit. But <laughs> all you Vols fans, I'm really happy. I have a picture to show you this morning. This is, a, this is, um, that is my Aunt Kim who's only a few years older than me, my dad's baby sister. She was more like a sister. She's the biggest Tennessee fan I know, and she has been in the desert for a long, long time. And she was able to be there yesterday for it. And she is standing with my best childhood friend, Joe Henry. Let me tell you about Joe Henry. If you need any insurance uh, in northern Cheatham County, have any needs, he is your man because he's the best. But Joe took me to Rocky Top growing up, he and his family. And we went to many games together. Uh, particularly the ones I remember are the 1994 and 1996 Florida games, which we had the Peyton Manning years. This was my childhood in the 90s, and we never could beat Florida. And my, my memories are three-and-a-half-hour drives home, which took about two hours and 45 minutes because Miss Janeth, Joe's mom, had a heavy, heavy foot after those losses <laughs> to Florida. And I would wake up and peek, and I would see on her GMC Astro the 98 miles per hour. And it was like, what is happening? Miss Janeth, I'm sorry to reveal that, but that's a true story. Um, and just devastating losses for this, this kid, UT fan. And it occurred to me, you can take the picture down, uh, Ryan. It occurred to me uh, yesterday as my 14-year-old, who is an Alabama fan, I'll tell you that in a minute, but uh, looked at me and said, well, I've never seen that happen. Which is true, which is true. And Howell, I want you to know that growing up, I never saw Alabama beat Tennessee much. It used to be quite different back in the, uh, the 90s. It was different than Tennessee and Florida. But I did marry into this Alabama family, and they get it honest. We married into a family who's, who's uh, my wife's mother's brother, her uncle, played for Bear Bryant. And, but they actually grew up in Auburn family which was crazy. And to this day, I'm thinking of this story because right before I got up, Elliot, our second son, looked at me and said, Dad, you look ridiculous in that coat. <laughs> like, That's not very encouraging to say right before I get up and preach, Elliot. But this coat belongs to Leslie Ann's grandfather, Howard Fowler, who was a diehard Auburn fan from, from childhood. And when his son, Les, decided to go play at the University of Alabama for the evil Bear Bryant, he was asked, well, Howard, how'd you let that happen? He said, my son picked the wrong school. So it runs deep down there. But since then, the Alabama family has been, they've been an Alabama family, and I married into the madness. And so I had to sit quietly yesterday as Leslie Ann suffered and texted everybody the vomiting emoji that she knows. <laughs> enduring the Alabama loss to Tennessee, a game which 
was incredible quarterback play, by the way, on both sides. But anyway, we won't go into there. Also, it is worth noting your pastor is very sad because the Atlanta Braves squandered an opportunity. And so yesterday was, not, was, was bad all the way around, wasn't it, Miss Kay? It sure was. Y'all, I am... <laughs> it's that time of year. And those of you who don't like football, I'm sorry that we, uh, we went there. I'm so delighted to be in this text with you and in this series. And what we're looking at is our church has a chance to imagine what the vision needs to be for us moving forward to continue the life and work of Jesus in this place in Bellevue and beyond and to follow and be formed by Jesus in the ways that we are called to. Let's Let's look into the text in Luke 19 together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. This is a traditional uh, Palm Sunday text. It's not Palm Sunday. It's far from it. But we are... um, It's an important story to consider, and I'm excited to read it with you. Text says, as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the The whole crowd of the disciples, they began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens, in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Such a powerful, powerful word from Jesus. You cannot, cannot keep them down. But then, then the tenor changes here in verse 41. He says, as he approached and, and he saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would, what would bring peace? But, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will, will build a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will, they will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Now, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and his tears, they, they bring to mind, to me, these verses from Luke chapter 13, this verse, Luke chapter 13, verse 34. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who, who kills the prophets and, and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you were not willing. This, this picture of a hen trying, to, trying so hard to, to gather all the chicks together, but cannot quite do it. Can't get them all together. They keep squirming around. They're not willing to be gathered just out of the hen's grasp. And y'all, it was all the way back in chapter 9 in Luke, where Luke tells us that the days had could come near the end of the days when Jesus' ministry, they would, well, they would end his ministry on earth. And the text in Luke 9 tells us Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem. Or some translations say that Jesus determined to journey to Jerusalem. So our text today is is the culmination point of of what Luke has been 
the story Luke has been unfolding in the past 10 chapters or so. Jesus is, is now coming into Jerusalem and he is he is he has and is journeying with and ministering to the people that that he loves. The people that he is going to die for. Us. And he's overcome with grief and with sadness that they, that we just don't get it. Now, Jerusalem in Hebrew, it means um, foundation for peace or foundation of peace. The city of peace. And here we are, the Israelites failing to be able to tell what really brings peace. It, it's quite ironic. So Christians, hear me, those of us following and and being formed by Jesus, much much more than being given any certain thing or, or things that provide peace in our lives, that ensure peace in our lives, we are given Jesus, who is himself peace. Jesus doesn't give us peace as much as he is, as much as he gives us himself who is peace. We say it every week. We are never alone. Jesus is peace and he is with us. He was with them. And his sadness is found in them not recognizing it, them not knowing it. But they, they did. They, they did just like any of us. They wanted peace. They just signed up for the wrong peace provider. They went with Rome. It seemed easier. It seemed more prudent at the time. And unless looking back, what did it cost them? Well, it cost them fealty. It cost them submission to the Roman Empire and, and all that the Roman Empire stood for. You see, they miss appropriated their love. They messed up. And I'm afraid that we do too. All of us. Any of us. Students, adolescents in the room. How do you guys and gals perhaps avoid harder things? How do you search for peace? Do you procrastinate on your schoolwork? I did at times. And it sat on my chest like a weight. But I was tough. I stuck with it. I held out. Are you slow to help out around the house? Kids, there will come a day when those dishes do not wash themselves. I learned that the hard way. Now, adults, we don't get off the hook. We just don't. How much of the time we spend staring at these is really about avoiding what we're really called to. The better choice in that particular moment. I'm talking to myself first here. Because I've noticed lately that our kids rarely miss when we lock into our phones in their presence. 
And it is teaching them that we, that they, they are less important than whatever it is I'm doing on my phone. And it is teaching them to retreat to whatever the devices are when they get to be 42 years old. What's that costing us? It's costing us real relationship. It is tearing at the fabric of our society. Again, I'm preaching to myself first here. But this is the parallel I see in this text. We don't have a hostile, heinous empire like Rome bearing down on us. The empire that is bearing down on us is the empire of self. And it is at the expense of other persons. People we love. People we could love. Who, who could love us and And yes, it is often the case that those are the very people who do not yet know God, who are not yet following and being formed by Jesus. People who do not have a chance to recognize that Jesus is in their midst. Jesus is not weeping over the people that have no idea Jesus is among them. That would make no sense. And he's the smartest man that's ever lived. Jesus is weeping over those who do. Look at verses 43 and 44 again. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time. When God visited you, these these difficult to read and even more difficult to consider verses detail Luke seemingly, I believe, thinking about the temple being overtaken and destroyed by the Romans around 60 A.D., which would be several years before he he wrote this. Likely. Luke is thinking about as he writes this, those who suffer, he's thinking about those who are struggling, suffering under the weight of of poor decisions, fealty to the wrong peace provider and the consequences thereof. He's writing about Jesus who's thinking about his friends, about his father's chosen people who have chosen to not recognize when, when the father sent the son to walk among them. So Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives, yes, he is weeping. Recently, we cemented our sermon plan for for next calendar year, for 2023, and I'm very excited about it. And it includes several week, a several week character study of the life of King David. Jesus is not the first to mourn over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Second Samuel 1530 says David was climbing the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he ascended. See, David was escaping his son Absalom, who had stolen the throne from him and turned the city of Jerusalem against him. And here we are, Jesus emulating that, Christ himself amongst the people, and they don't recognize him. They have turned from him. And now their enemies, who they embrace, in the years to come, will surround them and overcome them. It's a terrible story. Crushing them and their children and destroying their edifices. 
The plan is for abundance. The plan is for the temple to never be destroyed. The plan is for God to walk freely amongst the people as in the garden before sin came into the world and for us to realize it and enjoy it and be about it. And yet we choose something else. Do you see it? Do you see why it breaks God's heart? Do you see why it needs to break ours? First step is to realize it. We're asking the question this week, what to do when the city doesn't love you back? There are a couple of very important ways for us to consider what Luke is telling us here about Jesus and about us. What do we do when the city doesn't love us back? And first, we must realize that we are often, I am often part of the contingent, not loving God well in what I say and what I do and what we say and in what we do the contingent that does not love God very well. We are looking for peace elsewhere. We're looking for it somewhere else. And we must, the the good news, the irony, what we must realize, what we are called to amongst one another together in this thing called church is to continually remind one another that even though we get like that far too often that Jesus hasn't left. Never has, never will. In fact, he walks right into Jerusalem all the way to his crucifixion. Even though they rebelled, even though they did not recognize Jesus, even though they caused him great grief and suffering, leading to him weeping over the reality of the day, they are not alone. They are never alone. We can read that back into the story. Perhaps they didn't. They didn't realize it. It led to his tears, but we can know it. It's such a grace that we can know that, that Jesus did not abandon them, that Jesus does not abandon us. We are never alone, any of us. I once had a friend who I was hoping at the time would begin to follow and be formed by Jesus. We spent a ton of time together and his reasoning to not do so was that he did not see any difference in Christians and non-Christians. And oftentimes his evaluations were spot on. It's so frustrating, isn't it? How we still fall short. Even though we know stories like these and how things happen and how they unfolded, that we still fall short and we forget. But with each other, we can continually remind one another that we're not alone, that we have a better king that draws us back to himself, even when things are way off track. How did the late Reverend Fred Craddock say it? He said, I truly want to be with Christ. And I used to think that this meant, or or my motivation used to be, because I thought wherever Christ is, there would be no misery. And then I realized after seeing how much misery still existed, even in my own life, that where there is misery, that's where Christ is. Jesus is weeping over the misery in Jerusalem, misery they don't even realize yet. And Jesus is weeping. It comes in the form of a a lament that we just read. 
Fred Craddock says this of, of what a lament is that Luke records here that Jesus is uttering over Jerusalem. He said, a lament is a voice of, of, of profound love, profound caring of a vision of, of what could have been and grief over the loss of what could have been. A lament is accepting what is lost, but, but it reveals energy enough to continue on, to keep moving forward. There is reason to lament. Jesus shows us that, but there is energy to go on. We can grieve the way things have been, the way things might be in any specific circumstance, the things that have brought misery upon us. We can grieve them. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem seems to be born out of this resignation on his part that there's, there's nothing that can be done to reverse what is happening. Look at verse 42. If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. So folks, whatever has occurred in your life, whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever you have brought in with you, yes, grieve it. You're not crazy to do so. Misery still abounds. Maybe what has happened or is happening cannot be reversed or erased, but it doesn't have to be repeated. With the Holy Spirit, we can do better because that's the work, right? Right? To let the city know that the city that perhaps is not loving God or has no means to love God, to let them know that there is true peace. That Jesus is the king that will never leave us, any of us. We have to, that, that, that's the vision. That's the vision. That's our job, church. We have to choose that story to live out. That's our story. Regardless of the misery that we've known or know, the city needs us to choose that church. You have never seen anyone that God does not love. You've never seen anyone that God does not love. I remember a story that came out of uh, Kansas city a few years ago. A young minister was pastoring a church that um, was in a, a declining part of KC. And it, it was just the, Poverty was, was everywhere, and they had this really excellent after-school program that they were running for the kids in the neighborhood or near it. They had food after school. They had games. They would tell a Bible story. And a mother came to the minister of this church and, and, and said, are you the one that runs the after-school program? And he said, yes, ma'am. She said, my son is in this program. And the pastor said, well, we're so glad to have him. We're really having a lot of fun with the program. I hope, we, we hope that, that he is too. And, and well, she said, he, he is, and he, he can play the games, and he can eat the food, but I don't want him hearing any more of those stories. The pastor said, well, we, we just get them out of the Bible. They're just Bible stories. We're not making them up. She said, well, I don't want him listening to any of those stories. Pastor said, well, why? We're not, we're not trying to indoctrinate him. We're just telling the Bible stories. She said, well, he's gotten it in his mind. He comes home and it's become obvious that he's gotten it in his mind that he's just as good as any other kid in Kansas City. That God loves him just as much. And I just can't have him believe in that. It's setting him up for disaster. 
not on our watch. There is nobody that you have ever looked at, regardless of what is going on in your life, that does not, that God does not love. And God loves you too. Let's pray.